applications. Earlier, I spoke with Mediaite founder Colby Hall. It's surprising that a 92-year-old would step aside, but it, it will have repercussions on the way that um, political news will be told and reacted to over the next few years. Um, you know, there's no one that's more responsible for the current state of the media, for better and worse, you could say, than this individual. And, you know, his role will be somewhat ceremonial. All right, The Hill starts right now. All right, for some, he is the most popular man in Washington today. For others, they've got serious questions. The Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky in town asking for more U.S. help and getting a mixed response. So what happens next when it comes to the war in Ukraine? Plus, how in the world do you lose a $100 million fighter jet? News Nation asking the Pentagon that very question today. It's always unfortunate anytime we lose an aircraft. In this case, we're very thankful that the pilot was okay. Um, But broadly speaking, uh, we're confident that we can continue to defend the nation and do what we need to do. The Pentagon basically saying it's all good, but is it? Plus, a 96-year-old judge appointed by Ronald Reagan benched after she refused to comply with a mental fitness exam. Now she is suing to get her job back. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. And hello once again. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill on News Nation. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist and former campaign surrogate to President Biden. Denise Gitsum is a Republican strategist and former aide to President George W. Bush. Charlie Dent, of course, the former congressman from the state of Pennsylvania. Julia Manchester, the national political reporter for The Hill. And joining us remotely, hanging out with us for a bit, Mick Mulvaney, former chief of staff under President Trump, News Nation political and economic contributor. Mick, uh, I think you're in your home state of South Carolina or close to it, North Carolina maybe. How do we lose a fighter jet, an F-35, when you were the White House chief of staff and they came to you? What? My goodness. Good afternoon, Blake. By the way, tell Dent he's in my chair, so tell him I need okay. to back shortly. <laughs> there now, you look, go, Charlie. That, that, you that, too, Mick. <laughs> that, that, that plane went down about an hour from my house. It's part of my old congressional district. I want you to know, there's not much there. Um, I mean, it's not the Australian outback, but this is a fairly rural part of South Carolina. So you combine the fact that there's very few people living there. It's entirely possible to crash a plane there and have maybe six or eight or ten people hear it when it goes down. But keep in mind, this plane is also designed to be hard to track. So I, I don't know what it was doing at the time it went down. But if it was trying to go through maneuvers to evade detection, it would be tough to track. Maybe it's doing its job. I, look, the Pentagon will have some good answers, but it, it, the simple fact that it took us a while to find it doesn't really strike me as that unusual, given what kind of plane it is and where it went down. But unusual that we didn't know for 26 hours what it was doing, though, right? Yeah, a, a little disconcerting that, uh, that they'd lost the, the plane for 26 yeah. hours. Uh, by the way, keep in mind, that same part of the state, and I'm not making this up, is the only place that we've ever dropped a nuclear weapon on the United States. Huh. A, a, a bomb fell out of a plane in the 1950s and semi-exploded. It wasn't the nuclear part, but the conventional right. part of the weapon blew up. So there's a, there's a long history in that part of South Carolina of losing military hardware. All right, Mick, uh, Kelly Meyer, by the way, News Nation's Kelly Meyer was 
press in the Pentagon about this. We will speak with Kelly a little bit later in the show, what the Pentagon told her and their response. Big story, I think, that's going to continue to develop. Uh, Mick, hang around. Also uh, here in Washington, by the way, the president gaining the most attention is Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky. Crisscrossing town today, Capitol Hill, the Pentagon, the White House. And at this hour, he is speaking to supporters as well. He's trying to bring back home more U.S. money, U.S. weapons as well, as Russia's invasion of Ukraine is now in month 19. But it has been a much different reception since the last time the Ukrainian leader was here in Washington. Here he was in December. That, of course, a standing O before Congress, but now serious reservations among many House Republicans. Here was the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, in advance of the trip earlier this week. Is Zelensky elected to Congress? Is he our president? I don't think I have to commit anything. I have questions for him. Where's the accountability and the money we already spent? What is the plan for victory? I think that's what the American public wants to know. My, 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 Julia, how times have changed. Times have changed. And, you know, look, I think we've been waiting for a while for this moment to happen. Because remember in 2022, the beginning of the year, there was a lot of support for Ukraine, obviously, bipartisan support. It was something that Republicans and Democrats could easily get together on. But I think as the year went on and into 2023, we started to see, you know, some very conservative Republicans, the Freedom Caucus in particular, or even some populist progressive Democrats start to voice some real reservations about why we're giving so much money to Ukraine when we have our own problems at home. We're dealing with inflation and economic issues. So, you know, this doesn't surprise me at all, but I think it shows really the fracturing of the Republican Party. You hear Kevin McCarthy making those comments, but today Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell essentially said, this isn't charity to Ukraine. This is Mm. in the U.S. best interest. Charlie, former Republican congressman in the House. There's a split here among the, the Senate and the House, and then within the House, House Republicans among each other as to where as to where this goes and whether we should be sending more U.S. money to Ukraine. Well, this is a very small tail wagging a much larger dog. Hmm. That is, most House Republicans want to support uh, the Ukraine war effort. They do. Uh, the, the, what's sad here is they're talking about pulling money out of the defense appropriations bill, out, out, Ukraine money, out to please Marjorie Taylor Greene and the small minority of Republicans who don't want to fund Ukraine. This has to end. There's a way to deal with this. Put the bill on the floor, let them vote on it. Ukraine aid will pass overwhelmingly in the House with strong support of Republicans as well as Democrats. That's what we're dealing with right now. Time to stop feeding the crocodile, stop appeasing these people. The Ukrainians are doing the world a great service by degrading the Russian military. Everybody knows this. It's not charity. They're dying for freedom. Not one American has died. Denise, he's been everywhere. Vladimir Zelensky today has, has been all over Washington. Has his appearance moved the needle either in one direction or the next? I don't even know if anyone's paying attention to what he's saying. I think they're more interested in what the polls are saying. And unfortunately, the polls are showing a shift away from what I think is the correct answer, which is that we should continue to support them for a lot of geopolitical reasons well beyond just Russia. But I think that 
everyone is kind of doing the opposite of whatever Biden and or the House Freedom Caucus wants to do. Instead of just doing the right thing, this is what we're lacking in Congress right now, is just some courage to stand for principles that they've always stood for and do the right thing, regardless of what the polls show. And if you're more concerned about upsetting voters, then you shouldn't be in Congress. You know, he was meeting, Kevin, with uh, United States senators behind closed doors. That's right. Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate, came out and basically relayed this message to reporters from Vladimir Zelensky. Watch. There was a single sentence that summed it all up, and I'm quoting him verbatim. Mr. Zelensky said, if we don't get the aid, we will lose the war. If we don't get the aid, we will lose the war. is, Is that enough to change the minds of those who say, you know what, we've poured billions and billions and billions in enough is enough. Yeah, I sure hope so. And to Julia's point, uh, you know, the, the dynamics were so interesting between the House optics and the Senate optics. You saw Vladimir Zelensky, uh, you know, striding into the Senate, flanked by the Republican leader and the Democratic majority leader. Seventy senators, to your question, Blake, were in that closed-door session in the old Senate chamber. We, you know, we've got a $2 trillion defense bill that we pass every year. We've spent so far $75 billion in support, humanitarian and military, to Ukraine. That is a small fraction. And to Charlie's point, we are degraded the Russian military, one of our chief uh, rivals on the world stage, and they are doing the work for us. So we'll see if this message actually resonates. We'll get Mick Mulvaney's thoughts in a moment. Mick, if you hear me, hang around. But first, uh, as you know, there's one group of uh, members here in Washington that Zelensky likely has no shot of convincing that more help is needed. Today, six Republican senators, 23 Republican members of the House, wrote to the White House saying they are adamantly against any increase. The White House is pushing Congress for an additional $24 billion. And one of those Republican congressmen who signed that letter is Warren Davidson from Ohio. He is also a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee. Congressman, uh, thank you for joining us here on the Hill on News Nation. You heard Chuck Schumer there basically relay the, the message from Vladimir Zelensky. If we don't get the help, we will end up losing the war. Why not give him the help? Look, I think a lot of people are sympathetic to Vladimir Zelensky. I, I certainly am. I was inspired when he told the Biden administration, I don't need a ride out of my country. I need ammunition. Uh, and so let's not forget, that was Biden's opening offer. We'll get you out. He was prepared for the, uh, the whole nation to crumble and be rolled up by Russia in a heartbeat. Uh, now he's got an open checkbook, no limit to the money and no limit to the spending. And frankly, you know, what, what I'm hearing is that it's going to take hundreds of billions more with an indefinite timeline. A long war hundreds favors Russia. Hundreds of billions? Who, who are you hearing that is, from? You know, estimates of what it will take. I mean, and it depends on the mission, right? So I've got a bill called the Define the Mission Act uh, that fits a, an amendment I had in the National Defense Authorization Act. It just says to the uh, Biden administration, you tell me, what is your mission? What exactly are you trying to accomplish? And a lot of people say, well, obviously, kick the Russians out of Ukraine. Well, is that out of all of Ukraine or is that out of Crimea? Because that's a different mission set. And right now, all they've succeeded in doing is making sure that it doesn't spread to NATO. They could do that with diplomacy. Uh, And unfortunately, while it does say we're grinding down the Russian army, it's also grinding down the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian population. So it is at great cost with no definition of success uh, and no accountability. Congressman, you're a Republican, as I mentioned. Uh, there are other Republicans who are taking the other side of this argument. In the Senate, for example, here was Lindsey Graham. If you were in that briefing, 
and you came away believing that what we do in Ukraine doesn't affect our national security interest in the world, you literally uh, had your ears closed. Those who suggest that we shall pull the plug on Ukraine, I will make sure to my dying day you own that decision. What would you say to the senator there? Well, few people have liked war as much as Lindsey Graham. Uh, you know, uh, he's at least polite about it. But look, I don't think we should be sending Americans there. So when you hear people like uh, folks on your panel say they're doing the fighting for us, they're not doing the fighting for us. Our country wasn't invaded. Uh, so I'm sympathetic to the fact that their country was invaded. And frankly, I regret that the Biden administration is so weak uh, that, that they had no influence to stop or deter this. What we know is this didn't happen when Donald Trump was president. It happened when Barack Obama was president, when they took Crimea. It happened when Joe Biden was president. And frankly, there are a lot of things that should be given more scrutiny. I don't think Lindsey Graham is giving it the scrutiny that it deserves. So do you believe that this would stop in 24 or 48 hours, like Donald Trump suggests, if he were president? You just brought him up. No, not, not 24 or 48 hours. And frankly, it's, it's harder to solve uh, than that. It, it would have been easier to prevent up front. But right now, all that's happening is a lot of people are getting killed with no definition of what the mission is. And look, it doesn't have to be public. It can be in the skiff. But the Biden administration hasn't provided that in the most classified setting, what exactly they're trying to accomplish. And they need to do that. Um, frankly, you don't really know how many resources they need until they tell you what the mission is. If you go by what Victoria Nuland is saying, she said that it's regime change in Russia, including war, war crimes tribunals for Vladimir Putin. And I'm not saying that's unjust. I'm just saying that's not a war that the United States should fight. And it's not one that the people of Ukraine can achieve. Congressman Warren Davidson of Ohio, thanks for being here on the Hill. We'll have you on back. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yep. Uh, well, Ukraine funding, just one of the issues leading to a bit of chaos among House Republicans. After trying to find a deal to keep the government open that will be acceptable to the right flank of the party today, the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy sent everyone home. Have a nice weekend. The House recessed until next week. Now, the government would shut down in nine days unless there is a deal. Uh, I want to bring in Mick Mulvaney uh, out there. Mick, what do you make of what's going on right now? You got, um, you know... You got the House taking orders or trying to negotiate from Kevin McCarthy. You got Matt Gates uh, in the middle of it all. You got Donald Trump sending out tweets saying, hold the line. Who, who's running the House right now? Yeah, Blake, you and I have talked about this a couple times, and I, I heard it articulated today from a, a Republican member in a way that I thought was the best articulation yet, which is it's, this is not a House Freedom Caucus thing. Keep in mind, the Freedom Caucus got together with the Main Street folks to cut, you know, to cut a compromise. That would be like me and Charlie Dent sitting down to do that. Those things are happening in the House. So it's not an organized opposition. It's a bunch of caucuses of one. There's 20 people who all want something different. This is not a group of people who have come together and said, give us this and we'll vote for it. It's every, every person for him or herself. And that is even more difficult for Kevin McCarthy to deal with. Some folks have just decided that this is going to make them rich. It's going to make them famous. It's going to allow them to run for higher office. Some folks are, are, are properly motivated. It's always difficult to say which is which. But I, this is not a coordinated effort against um, Kevin McCarthy. The Freedom Caucus actually has come to the table with a compromise and got that shot down by folks even further to their right. Could be very, yeah. very difficult for Kevin to negotiate. Well, let, me, let, me ask, let me ask you, Mick, are, is the, the right flank of this party 
who knows if they end up, you know, winning the war on all this stuff, but are they notching up battle victories? Let me, for example, Kevin McCarthy has now had to move right, and he's caved on a couple different occasions. And then consider this headline, the other chamber from the Hill, Tupperville on Schumer advancing nominations. I forced his hand. So you got Tommy Tupperville getting uh, nominations put on the Senate floor. You got Kevin McCarthy saying, go home, I can't make a deal. The, the right flank of this party, again, I don't know who wins the war here, but, but they got some battle victories, do they not? Yeah, but at the same time, I think Anthony Gonzalez is one of the people who's, who's raised the objections. He's not a right wing. He's not, I don't think he's a member of the Freedom Caucus. He's concerned about border security because that's where he's from. So like I said, this is not a coordinated effort of the far right wing. Are there a bunch of folks out there who are involved with this? Yes, but this is, this is a breakdown in sort of the operation of the House. It, it's a function of the fact that there's only a four or five vote margin that Kevin McCarthy has on, on a good day. So I, I hear what the narrative is, and, and part of the narrative is right, but it's, it's more than that. If it was just that, then I think what would happen is the Senate would pass a bill on a bipartisan basis and they'd force it down the House's throat. I'm not sure. I think that might be where we get eventually, but I just don't see that happening yet because this is not playing out the way the previous shutdowns have. I'll, I'll take it as a little bit of a compliment that you said part of that narrative is right. Uh, I guess I'm on to maybe a little something there, Mick. What about it, Charlie? I, I agree with Mick on this point that at the end of the day, the, the, the Senate is going to drive the bus. Uh, They're going to pass a bill uh, that, that funds the government at current levels provides for disaster relief, maybe a little border money and funds the Ukraine effort. They're going to send it to the House, and the House, and at this point, Kevin McCarthy has to make a decision. Because right now the House is almost ungovernable. Uh, these 20 folks, however many it is, are really humiliating uh, the majority. They don't speak for the majority. Kevin McCarthy could simply cut a deal with Hakeem Jeffries. Right. They could pass a bipartisan bill to send it to the Senate, but afraid to do that because he knows he'll have a rear guard action. Kevin, real quick, you surprised that Chuck Schumer caved? Uh, I, I think, you know, he has the realization that, you know, for the first time we would have a chairman of the Joint Chiefs space uh, vacant and he needed to put some action behind it. And we got two more uh, chiefs as part of that package. All right. It's interesting to see the power dynamic and really the power struggle right now at the top. Meantime, the media mogul Rupert, Mur uh, Rupert Murdoch announcing today that he'll be stepping down as chairman of Fox and News Corp later this year in November. In a statement, Murdoch said, quote, the companies are in robust health, as am I, adding, quote, in my new role. I can guarantee you that I will be involved every day in the contest of ideas. Mick, you had a, a front row seat as the chief of staff in the Trump White House. That relationship there between Donald Trump and Rupert, Mur R Rupert Murdoch. Peel the curtain back a little bit. Um, they made a lot of money off of Donald Trump. They really did. And in fact, one of the things we learned when the, when the lawsuit came out against Fox was just how hard Fox was bending over backwards to, to satisfy the, the MAGA wing of their audience. So that, that, that's always a, a difficult situation. Look, Fox has been through some tough times. They, they used to call themselves fair and balanced. They stopped oh, doing yeah. that, I think, because yep. nobody believes it anymore. If they put that on television, I'd laugh at it. Look, and I like the folks at Fox, but it's not fair and balanced. I remember when Mark Meadows got uh, referred up by the January 6th committee on a criminal charge to the DOJ, I think one Fox uh, show covered that during the day. That's a big story. Mm. Um, but they're not interested in taking on the, the MAGA wing of the party, and that's unfortunate. Be curious to see if Lachlan keeps that up or not. Opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, which, of course, 
Rupert Murdoch sits at the top of. Why is Donald Trump afraid to debate? He's ducking exchanges with his competitors who could challenge his record in, and platform. It ain't coincidental, Mick, is it that on the day that Rupert Murdoch says, I'm out, the Wall Street Journal comes out, not only with that headline, but if you read that story, I mean, they went after Donald Trump. Yeah, and believe me, if, if I was going to write an article that needled Donald Trump to try and get him to provoke him to anger, provoke him to actually respond, that was using all of the yeah. language. Keep in mind, they want him for financial reasons. I mean, their, their ratings are off dramatically on, the, on, their, on their political coverage when Trump doesn't show up. He didn't show up for the first debate. It's unlikely yeah. he'll show up for the second one. So they need him for financial reasons to show up. So that's part of the reason you saw that today. Mick, hang around. Denise, just your, your thoughts. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's so far ahead. I don't understand why anybody would ever want to get on a stage and get pummeled when you're that far ahead in so many of the polls. So it makes sense. All right. Well, coming up, a total 180 on immigration. New York welcomes immigrants just a few years ago. But with the border situation worsening, did you hear what the governor is saying now? Essentially, the governor of that state said, go somewhere else. The latest as the surge continues at the southern border. And what happened to that missing F-35 fighter jet? Vanished for 24 hours. Lots of questions. News Nation at the Pentagon today pressing for answers. And we'll speak to Kelly Meyer. Kind of got some. Welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. Take a look at your screen right now. What you are seeing is migrants making their way through barbed wire to cross the U.S.'s southern border. This is Eagle Pass, Texas. Thousands of migrants are reportedly entering the country day by day. But this crisis, no longer an issue for the border states down south. Over 1,900 miles away, for example, the New York governor, Kathy Hochul, warned immigrants last night that once they come into the U.S., they should not look to go to her state. <laughs> we have to let the word out that when you come to New York, we're not going to have more hotel rooms. We don't have capacity. So we have to also message properly that we're at our limit. If you're going to leave your country, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Oh. That is a total reversal from this. 2016, Democrats in New York City touting, quote, New York, a sanctuary city with a plan. Two NYC council members writing at the time, quote, our resolution codifies past commitments to sanctuary while signaling to everyone that we will invest the time, energy, and resources required to make good on our promises. Joining us now is the Republican congressman from New York, Anthony D'Esposito. He is also a member of the Homeland Security Committee. Congressman, thank you for joining us once again. You know, we, we spoke here, I think somewhere like, I don't know, 10 10 days ago, a couple weeks ago about this. Uh, and at the time, the headline was from the Democratic mayor of New York, Eric Adams, basically saying this, this overflow of immigrants could destroy, as he put it, New York City. You're a Republican. I asked you at the time, do you agree with the mayor? And you told me basically, yes, you did. Now that you hear the comments from the Democratic governor, do you agree with her? Well, the, the, I guess the funny part about this is that uh, Kathy Hochul actually thinks that migrants crossing into this country are listening to her on CNN. That's the first problem. <laughs> the second problem is she is so completely disconnected from real life and what's going on uh, in New York. She just has no finger on the pulse of the people of this state. Um, I agree with Mayor Adams. The migrant issue is going to destroy New York City, but it's his fault. Uh, he touted the fact that New York City was a sanctuary city. 
he wanted to tell everyone that they were welcoming everyone with open arms, but he had no plan in place. And like I've said before, nobody is coming into this country, nobody is risking their life, nobody is leaving their family to come to the United States of America to live in an empty warehouse at JFK Airport. And now we have the governor saying, well, the inn is full, there's no room for you. Well, you've, you know, you've been pandering to President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas for the last months. We now have New York City where it's estimated that in 2023 it's going to cost the city over $4 billion with a B, and in 2024 over $6 billion. Uh, yesterday we had a Homeland Security hearing, and there were some members whose entire state budget wasn't as much as what we expect New York City to shell out uh, in 2024. There was the move from President Biden last night, essentially granting temporary protective status to Venezuelans. The thinking there, as many Venezuelans are coming into New York, that it would open up opportunities for them to, to work and, and maybe not rely on assistance from the government. Do you think that was a good move from the president? Is that going to work? I don't. Uh, you know, just as, uh, you know, his, his vice president um, has said that the border is secure and she's our so-called border czar, but has made very few trips to actually visit the border. I think President Biden needs to visit New York City and notice that there are plenty of people laying in our streets, um, you know, destroying the quality of life that, that could uh, get a job, but they're not interested either. Congressman, I know you got a day job. I think you got to run, but we appreciate the time uh, you joining us here on the Hill. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Yep. Um, what do you, I mean, you, those, those two headlines and comments are stunning, Julia, and you hear the congressman basically say something's got to get done. Yeah, yeah, something's got to get done. And we see that the Biden administration is touting that they're sending, what, 800 additional troops to the border to essentially deal with what Customs and Border Patrol agents have been dealing with at the border in terms of logistics and organization, let those other agents to get back and get back to their day jobs. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily going to appease critics, um, and the president's problem is that there are critics within within his party, the critics in um, these blue states, these democratic cities that have called themselves sanctuary cities that are really feeling the pain of this. When you look ahead, the election, uh, the economy and inflation issue one, two, is this going to be issue number three for Democrats and voters? I think it's certainly a key issue for Republican voters, uh, especially, you know, hearing from uh, the congressman in New York, who's going to be in a tough, uh, I think, you race. you think only Republicans? In, well, I, I think it could be a defining factor in, in a place like New York, where we're going to be contesting a lot of uh, those House races. Republicans won uh, five of those seats in some of those districts close to New York. So I think that could be a key issue there, obviously, in districts closer to uh, the, the border, whether it be Texas, Arizona, what have you. Uh, but to Julia's point, you know, 800 troops is not insignificant. Uh, but, you know, we, we just saw 8,600 people apprehended in the last 24 hours. This surge of migrants is just overwhelming the, the system in its entirety. And we need to surge more resources. And that's, that's partly on Congress's uh, shoulders to do. I want to understand what these lawmakers who are welcoming these folks, who everyone has compassion for, how they can possibly consider what's happening to be compassionate. It is not compassionate, it is not loving your neighbor if you have to basically harm your other neighbors who are your actual constituents in order to help other people who are not actually helping. And I think that this is such an incredible issue to say, hey, 
welcome. We've created a space for you somewhere else. Now you guys take responsibility for it. And what I've heard from my friends in San Diego, where you lived for a long time, is that the federal government has completely made this an unfunded mandate. They have done nothing to help whatsoever. And you're hearing that in every place that this is happening. This is, I, I got to run, Charlie, but this is NIMBY, not in my backyard, mm-hmm. right? Oh, it's more than NIMBY. I mean, look, this is where the left has a big problem. They've talked about abolishing ICE. They've talked about open borders. They've talked about sanctuary cities. There are limits even to their compassion. Uh, A great country needs to be able to manage orderly entrance and exit. We are not doing that. Uh, And I think right now it's, and we have to change the asylum laws. Everybody knows that. So I think many on the left have to wake up and deal with the reality that we're facing. Nick, last word to you real quick. Um, it could change an election in, in New York City. I don't think Donald Trump's got a chance in New York State, but I think it could stay, change the state legislature, if nothing else. When Democrats are fighting against a Democrat administration, yeah. um, that can change the outcome of elections. All right. Uh, so, as we talked about with Mick in his home state at the top of the show, how does the military lose a fighter jet? Happened this week for over 24 hours, and the military hasn't really given any answers. So News Nation asked the Pentagon today their response to our questions right after the break. Everyone has a community, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use, community members can be your eyes and ears when you're not with your kids and alert you to signs of potential problems. Learn more at talktheyhearyou.samsa.gov. What if one day you went to your secret hiding place and instead of what you came for, you found a phone number? 1-800-662-HELP. What would you do? Would you stop and give it some thought? Before drugs take their toll on you and your family, know that there is help. You can quit. For help with drug use, call 1-800-662-HELP for free and confidential information and treatment referral. Or go to samhsa.gov slash know the risks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping us safe in dangerous times. It's critical that we keep AM radio in cars, because when cell and Internet services are down, this free emergency service could be your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. In a single moment, everything can change. When a player's sudden cardiac event brought a national football game to a halt, it shone a spotlight on the importance of CPR readiness. Now, with youth sports in full swing, the American Heart Association is rallying parents and coaches to be ready in an emergency. To be ready, learn hands-only CPR. It's a skill anyone can learn in minutes. Visit heart.org slash hands-only CPR and become a lifesaver today. How is your job to school? Let me tell you. I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council.
You're listening to The Hill on News Nation. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment. If not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of. Because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. Pass it on. Here's a short quiz. Who won Best Actress last year? Who won the World Series two years ago? And finally, name your favorite teacher. Pass it on. Now I'm guessing that the last question was the easiest. Why is that? Because that person made a difference in your life. So, go ahead and make a difference. Because making a difference is in you. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition. And Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to The Hill on News Nation. Questions are mounting about the F-35 jet that went missing and later crashed in South Carolina. Yesterday on the show, you might remember the congresswoman from South Carolina, Nancy Mace, said she hadn't even been briefed on it. The Pentagon has, has provided zero information, which is really, it's important to local leaders and our state leaders to have some information when there is a crisis going on to at least let the public know whether or not this is a public emergency. At the very minimum, the Pentagon could have done that, and they did not. News Nation's Kelly Meyer was asking questions at the Pentagon about all of this today. Kelly, uh, you tried. They answered. I'm not sure many details were, were filled in, though. About the same as the congresswoman got there, really, Blake. You know, an F-35 goes missing, and we still have no answers as to why. We pressed the Pentagon press secretary multiple times on several questions, like how did this happen, why did the pilot eject himself, and then why did the plane then travel 60 miles and crash in rural South Carolina? He remained tight-lipped on all of this because he said the Marine Corps is continuing with their investigation. Take a listen. I understand you said the investigation's still ongoing with the Marines, but there's a lot of questions surrounding this and a lot of headlines right now. Is there anything that you can share to people that are wondering what happened here? Well, that's exactly what the investigation will tell us, and that's why it's important that we not jump to conclusions, that we not speculate, that we don't allow our imagination to fill gaps. We have a very methodical, very deliberate, very uh, tried-and-true process that will take a look at exactly what the situation was, uh, get the facts, and then, as appropriate, apply those facts to prevent these kinds of things from happening again. 
tried to squeeze it out of him there, but we couldn't get anything. Now, the Government Accountability Office, a government watchdog set up to, by Congress, release a report on the F-35 program. And what they found, that maintenance challenges negatively affect F-35 readiness and that the percentage of time the aircraft can perform one of its task missions was about 55 percent in March 2023. That's far below the program goals. Now, I also asked the general about just the overall national security concerns surrounding this, that the world is watching what is happening with the missing F-35 for over 24 hours. Uh, He assured that the Department of Defense uh, is confident that they could continue to defend the nation. Blake. All right, Kelly Meyer asking the questions at the Pentagon. Kelly, thank you. Charlie, former congressman, House Appropriations Committee, used to dole out the money here. You were sticking up for the jet during the commercial break. Well, yeah, it's the state-of-the-art fighter jet. It's yeah. the best in the world. And whatever the maintenance issues are, they're going to have to, to deal with them. Uh, it's 80 to $100 million a crack for that, yeah, that jet. And, uh, look, we're all taken aback that this plane was lost for 24 hours. We need answers. I think we need to take, take a deep breath. Again, there are more questions than answers at this point. Let's, let's see what we find out. But I still have a high degree of confidence in the F-35. Mick, do you think we're ever going to get sort of an answer or an explanation yeah. or, or some sort of something here? Sure, whether or not we get an answer is one thing. I think Congress absolutely will. Um, yeah. My takeaway from this, though, Blake, is not the fact it took them 26 hours to find the plane. It's the fact that only 55% of them are combat ready. That's not acceptable. Yeah, that's... Uh, I hear what Charlie says about defending the plane, and I get that. But that's not, that is a number that, uh, if that's the story that comes out of this, that's a bigger story than losing a jet for 26 hours. Yeah, that, that came from a government accountability, uh, the Government Accountability Office. You would think, Mick, that number would be in the 80s or 90s, right? Like, without knowing much about fighter jets, but maybe that's just, that's my perception. I don't know. What do you think? You're right. Keep in mind, if you only got 100 jets and only 55 of them are ready, you really only have 55. That's, that, that just doesn't work. Charlie knows. You ask him. He's been through this before. That number is way too low, and I hear, this is a great plane. There's no question about it. It doesn't surprise me. We haven't gotten any answers yet. I do expect to get answers eventually. I get all of that. What the answer I want is, how is it possible that this far into this program that barely half of these yeah. things are, are, are airworthy at any one time? All right, Mick Mulvaney with us in the Carolinas. Think you got to run. Thank you. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. I'm sure we'll have you back on set here soon. Yeah, I got to go find an airplane. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> See ya. Well, as you might know, the Hill starts every day at 5 o'clock Eastern here on News Nation. And starting Monday, a new face will hand over the reins to us at that time. Connell McShane, friend of mine, former colleague, now current colleague, starts as the anchor of News Nation Now and joins us live. What's up, my man? Hey, Blake, this is fun. We get to work together again. I, uh, <laughs> I, I actually feel a lot of pressure sitting in this seat in New York because I was thinking if, if I were you, if I were sitting in your seat okay. and anything went wrong with my show, I would I just blame the guy before me. So uh, I feel a lot of pressure <laughs> to be your, your lead in, which I'll be starting Monday. But it should be fun. Yeah, uh, tons of fun. Um, you blame me for lots in the past, though. I blame you for the Mets taking two out of three in the Marlins last oh, night. Oh, wow. When that. the games matter to the Marlins, <laughs> the, too. The games yeah. matter to the Marlins. You're the <laughs> You're only Marlins. Up, I, oh, I didn't even know Marlins fans were a thing until I met you. I didn't think we really had Marlins fans in, in the country, but they are, apparently. So, as says, uh, says a famous a while, Mets fan. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, we, uh, we used to do this thing at a business network together. Um, I thought there was yeah. some pretty big news yesterday with Jay Powell, uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, put in that position by Donald Trump, 
Yeah. Joe Biden had a decision to make, kept him in that position. And Jay Powell basically said, expect higher interest rates for longer. And, and what caught my attention there, Connell, is longer could mean maybe until November 2024. And if right. that's the case, that could be a big deal uh, de- for yeah. the incumbent and his reelection campaign. Definitely could be. It's not like we haven't seen this before. I was looking back at some of the other election cycles where Federal Reserve chairmen have had a say, and it's happened. And, you know, some people will tell you that the Fed is not going to want to raise rates or maybe even cut rates leading up to an election. But again, it has happened. There is some history to suggest that as we get closer to Election Day, we might not see as much activity from the Fed. In other words, if they're going to raise rates next year, maybe it's likely they do it early in the year. But that doesn't mean it won't have an impact. By the way, you mentioned Donald Trump. You're right. He was appointed by Trump. Trump probably wasn't thrilled in in 2018 when Powell, then Fed chairman, was raising rates right into another election cycle, that being the midterm. So, you know, there's history here. Is, is Jay Powell, you know, I was, I was thinking about it. President Biden is running on Bidenomics, right? It's the economy stupid. That's, that's the sure. line we all know. Um, in, in a way, Connell, is he, if not the most important person in Washington right now, certainly one of them when it comes to 2024? Because if he, he's got the keys to the economy, does he not? Probably. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, they have the keys. They just don't know necessarily what's going to happen when they turn that uh, key. It's a very unique position, as you right. know, being the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, because you you don't know the results of your actions until you take them many times. So for the Federal Reserve chairman, in this case, you raise rates too much, you plunk us right into a recession. But if you don't do it right and you don't raise rates enough, then we have more inflation uh, to deal with. So it's a very fine line that Powell, who was ever in charge, has to walk. But you're right, there's a lot of power. I mean, you know, go back to Paul Volcker when he came in and was raising rates like crazy ahead of the election in 1980. Actually started to back off a little bit before the election, but the damage was done. And, of course, Jimmy Carter lost that election. There yes. are other examples. So whether this will be a one to add to the list, we'll see. But I think your point is right, that he's probably, if not the most, one of the most powerful people in Washington. Yeah, for sure. When it was announced that I was coming to News Nation, yes, that was a huge announcement. Phone call, call. breaking news yeah, in Miami that day. They were all over my, it at the Marvel <laughs> Yeah, the first phone call that I got was from that guy right there, and the conversation went just like that. Uh, but <laughs> I am stoked that you are here, Connell, and we look forward Same. to seeing you. On, Same for you. Uh, I'm very Monday happy to start your new show. We'll have, yep, we'll have a lot of fun. So I'll talk to you Monday officially. But uh, you know, right. keep an eye on things until then. All right, we'll catch you then. And be sure to watch Connell McShane on News Nation now, starting next Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern, 3 to 5, right here on News Nation. And coming up, she is 96 years old. She is a federal judge, and she is temporarily suspended. And now she is fighting back. How is that the case? Her complaint coming up when The Hill on News Nation returns. Judge Pauline Newman has been suspended from the bench for one year. Here's why. During an investigation, court staff interviews suggested that the judge suffered from, quote, significant mental deterioration, including memory loss, confusion, lack of comprehension, paranoia, anger, hostility, and severe agitation. As a reminder, she's 96. Judge Newman, though, is fighting back, asking for another opinion, and has even sued some of her colleagues. She's now Gone after the colleagues, uh, you know, I, I think also of Texas with Ken Paxton being turned in by his colleagues yeah. and then there being a lawsuit there. Do you worry that there might be like a backlash here against whistleblowers with 
people of authority? Certainly there could be. My, my big takeaway is you, you got to treat your staff really well. Uh, and Ken Paxson has learned this uh, lesson the hard way. This judge, uh, Judge uh, Newman, uh, has learned it as well. Uh, you have this delicate balance that we're seeing with uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, for example, and, right. and her staff and what they're willing to come forward and share. So, But it is an issue. And, and Nikki Haley, interestingly enough, is making it a core part of her argument, right, for a new generation yeah. of folks to take over. Yeah, it was a story that I read uh, just a little while ago. It was written earlier this year. If Ken Paxton's staff can do it, why can't Diane Feinstein's? You bring it up, but back to this case, Denise. Look, in this case, are they just trying to wait her out? Do they think she's going to be better in a year? Like she's ninety-six, they're going to give her. I think the discomfort is with assigning some sort of mental clarity, or you know, to an age. And I think mm-hmm. that when we go to the to go get our driver's license, we have to go see if we can see not how old we are, right? Like you have to have certain standards for certain jobs. Military has PFTs; you've got to hit them because physical fitness is required for the job. In this case, mental acuity, clarity, is required for the job. So I'm not sure why they wouldn't. You could be 100 or 30. You should still pass the mental acuity test. He is a walking argument (laughs) for age limits or term limits for federal judges. These are lifetime appointments. uh, And there's nothing in the Constitution that says these should be lifetime appointments. Hmm. So I do think we need to revisit this. Most states like mine, we do have age limits for, for state appellate judges. Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and Pennsylvania. And many other states, too. I know we can maybe raise it to 80, but uh, I'm just saying that you, we you, may, there should be an argument. You were on the House Ethics Committee. You were telling me the last chairman. House chairman. Ex- excuse me, Mr. <laughs> chairman. Uh, <laughs> but you were telling me during the break that the, one of the biggest lessons for you during that time was? Look, the members of Congress who got in trouble with their staff, they, they were neither careful nor nice. If you mm. can't be careful, you should be nice. Golden rule. Uh, because that's who usually got in trouble. The yeah. staff would come into the committee, yeah. a parade of them, and say, did you know Congressman so-and-so did this? Right. Charlie's got his hand like he's holding the gavel right there. <laughs> <as he's saying. laughs> Bring back memories. Uh, I think Denise is on to something with differentiating between age and mental acuity. Look, this you know, we, we have this conversation a lot, whether it's with Mitch McConnell and his recent health issues, President Biden, Dianne Feinstein, but there's also been Conversations. Remember last cycle with Senator John, Fe- now Senator John Fetterman, sure. after he suffered from his stroke. I mean, he that criticism appears to have died down from Republicans. We're talking about what he's wearing now, but I mean, it was a question for a while, and I think there's a difference between those two factors. By the way, the judge just gave a statement to Reuters, like in the last 20 minutes or so, and here's what she says: "Quote: If judges can eliminate an unpopular colleague in secret proceedings, as happened last spring." She goes on to say, how can the public have confidence in the integrity of the judiciary? That is the argument there from this judge. Again, when they interviewed the staff, they listed all those things, mental deterioration, including memory loss, confusion, so on and so forth. But that is how she is defending herself. Don't mess with her, man. Don't mess with those women, those lovely women. All right, well, Elizabeth (laughs) Vargas reports is about seven minutes away, and tonight... As the migrant crisis in New York City reaches a boiling point there, Elizabeth will dive deeper into the problem with New York City's Emergency Management Commissioner. You can catch that interview 6 o'clock Eastern right after the Hill, just minutes away. And coming up, talk about star power. Taylor Swift just might be playing a role in the 2024 election. How she is getting voters to speak now. The Chosen, a global sensation shining a spotlight on faith and shocking Hollywood. Only News Nation's Adrian Banker has behind-the-scenes access to the cast and the set. A News Nation special report, The Chosen Phenomenon, Sunday, 9, 8 central, only on... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And so before we say goodbye, here's a headline that caught our eye. Taylor Swift, uh, National Voter Registration Day yesterday. She put out an Instagram post, and they had record traffic to the site. 35,000 people now signing up to vote because of Taylor Swift. Yeah, I think there's only two people who could have such an impact like this. That's Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Um, mm-hmm. You know, already this summer they've had quite an impact. But look, Taylor Swift is universal. We were talking during the break which way she leans politically. Likely she probably leans to the left. Um, this is, you know, a left-leaning organization. But look, I mean, when she puts out a call to action like this, people laugh. Uh, I'm, I'm dear friends with the CEO of Vote.org. I think anytime we encourage people to get involved in the democratic process. It's a win for America. It's up to the politicians to get us to choose how we vote. But this is staggering. 13,000 voters registered in the first 30 minutes after Taylor Swift directed them to vote.org for National Voter Registration Day. Is this good? Not just new new voters. $5 billion in economic Five billion dollars with a B yeah. for Eras Tour. So a, a she's single handedly. Wait, are you the Democrat the, or am I? I know, I think we're on the same page. Are you secretly a Taylor Swift fan? She's holding that accusing up on the shoulder. Adding one percent to GDP. I'm all for thank democracy. Let's, thank let's you all for America being better. here on the Hill. Appreciate the time. Fun time as always. Coming up right now, though, Elizabeth Vargas reports starts now. A flood of migrants is overwhelming.